Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. As many of you will have seen and heard, whistleblowing law is changing as the Protected Disclosures Amendment Bill 2022 is set to amend the Protected Disclosures Act 2014. So in today's episode, we're going to take a closer look at this whistleblowing law and what changes are coming. And to guide us through this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by Elizabeth Ryan, partner in the Employment Law and Benefits team at Mason Hayes and Curran. Thank you for joining us, Elizabeth. How are you? Very well. Thank you, Owen. How are you keeping? Brilliant. Thanks for joining us. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. Hello, Mary. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. So let's jump right in. Um, so I suppose kicking it off with yourself, Elizabeth, if we can come to you first. So what is whistleblowing, I suppose, in this context? Is there a definition? That's a very good question, Owen. Um, first of all, I suppose it's worth saying that the, the there's there's consistently a reference to whistleblowing. But in fact, when you look at the legal framework underpinning what we call whistleblowing, um, that legal framework doesn't re- refer to the word whistleblowing at all. Uh, the legal framework is the is that set out in the Protected Disclosures Act 2014, which is the current piece of legislation uh, that deals with what we commonly refer to as whistleblowing. And the long and the short really of the uh, 2014 Protected Disclosures Act is that it protects workers from being penalized if they make disclosures of certain information and that information is outlined in the Act, I'll talk about it in a minute, uh, where the worker has a reasonable belief that the information tends to show a wrongdoing on the part of their employer. And the worker must have come across this information in the context of their employment. Now, the relevant wrongdoings um, that are currently uh, the subject matter of um, protected disclosures are uh, wrongdoings such as where uh, an organization has uh, committed an offense or where there has been a failure to comply with a legal obligation, where there has been a miscarriage of justice or where the health and safety of an individual or the environment is at risk of being endangered or damaged or where there's unlawful uses of public money or an act or omission on the part of a public body. And interestingly, one of the relevant wrongdoings is where a worker gathers information or comes across information which tends to show uh, that one of the preceding wrongdoings uh, may occur in the future or is occurring at the moment or occurred in the past. So there's an element whereby the mere apprehension uh, that a relevant wrongdoing is occurring is sufficient uh, to come within the definition of a relevant wrongdoing. And so in very simple terms, if a worker discloses to his or her employer that, for example, there's a breach of environmental legislation because effluent is being dumped into a local river, Uh, that clearly would point to a relevant wrongdoing. Uh, And once the worker can demonstrate they have a reasonable belief, then they are protected from being penalized. 
And I'll just talk about penalisation for a minute, Owen, if I can, um, because penalisation is defined in the 2014 Act as including actions by an employer, which could include, for example, suspending or dismissing an employee, denying an employee an opportunity for promotion or demoting an employee, indeed, disciplining an employee or discriminating an employee or causing them injury, damage or loss. So again, the definition of what constitutes penalisation under the current legislation is quite wide. Brilliant. So I think just kind of slightly building on what Elizabeth has kicked us off with there, Mary, I suppose, why might an employee blow the whistle or bring up a wrongdoing? Um, what are some of the typical concerns raised and why, I suppose, do employees, thankfully, they do when things are wrong, but why do they feel the, the need to whistle as they do? I guess people are concerned about things that they see happening in the workplace. And, you know, the range of reasons are wide and varied. So you can, some of the ones we may have come across in the past might be relating to, say, a nursing home environment where somebody is concerned about the care of the elderly relating to an organisational approach, for instance. Um, I have seen it on factory lines where people are concerned about the ingredients may be used um, by the organisation claiming to be one thing and actually being another. Um, And it's just so wide and varied that I guess it's for people to look at and decide if there are really serious concerns that they have about something that's happening in the organization and there's a mechanism for raising it. That being said, I think it it, it can be very confusing and difficult for an organization to deal with this whole area because they're not quite sure what to do, how to handle it, how to handle an anonymous complaint uh, and I'm really hoping that Elizabeth can shed some light on the practicalities in terms of what do you do in HR or as an organization when these issues come up um, because they're fraught with difficulty uh, and any move that the organization makes um, here is fraught with difficulty, including, as Elizabeth outlines, penalisation. Um, and we've seen some of the notorious cases in Ireland at, at a, a very uh, public level, but at the really practical down-to-earth level where employers might actually face this in the workplace, the what we should do and how is always a bit of a mystery. I think I suppose putting the, the legislation itself under the microscope for a moment, Elizabeth, a couple of questions on that so i suppose what's the current situation with the legislation as stands but what are the changes that are are being proposed okay owen so as i mentioned the current legislation in place is the protected disclosures act 2014 um there is a bill in place um the, the which is the protected disclosures amendment bill of 2022 and really i suppose the impetus for amending the current 2014 Act is that Ireland, like other EU member countries, is obliged under an EU directive, for those of you who like uh, to look up EU directives in your spare time, it's EU 20191397. And that directive really um, requires member states to amend their legislation on protected disclosures to include 
breaches of Euro uh, European Union law. So effectively own what will happen uh, when we have, when the, when the bill, the 2022 bill is enacted, uh, we will have a piece of legislation and people who access it will see that the relevant wrongdoings, and I mentioned some of them at the top of the call, they will now include not only health and safety issues, environmental issues, offences that I discussed earlier, but they will also include breaches of EU law, uh, and there are particular um, subsections of EU law which are listed in Article 2 of the directive, which would include, for example, EU law on public procurement, food safety, consumer protection, and personal data. So the definition of relevant wrongdoings is going to be padded out to include uh, those, those EU uh, directives and regulations uh, under various subject matter categories. Um, so the bill also is going to contain one or two other uh, significant amendments of note. And the first of those is that currently under the 2014 Act, workers are protected against penalization. The bill will also will expand this definition. So now it is not just workers who are protected, but for example, people who act in the capacity as volunteers, shareholders, or people who are working in the administrative management or supervisory part of the undertaking, or indeed job applicants. So the ambit of who is protected has increased quite significantly. And the other major change really is that today, Owen, only public sector employers are obliged to have a protected disclosures policy. That obligation will extend to private sector organizations with 50 or more employees. And those organizations must establish channels and procedures for their workers to make a protected disclosure. And certainly there are certain derogations in terms of the phasing in, but by December 2023, organizations with between 50 and 249 employees will have to have these, um, these policies and procedures in place so that uh, employees and, and volunteers and any, anybody who's protected under the legislation will know and will be able to access the procedure that the employer will use for that individual to make a protected disclosure. And the, the 22 2022 bill when enacted will also put timelines on employers' obligations to uh, deal with protected disclosures. So the employer will have to acknowledge um, the receipt of a protected disclosure uh, from an individual within seven days, and then they will have to provide feedback to the person who makes the disclosure and communicate the outcome of any investigations triggered by the disclosure within three months. So we've moved really from the 2014 Act, which isn't, in, which isn't that prescriptive in terms of what the employer needs to do in terms of handling a protected disclosure. The 2014 Act is very much orientated on ensuring that employers do not penalize a person who makes a protected disclosure. Now the employer is going to have to take a significant extra step of demonstrating that they have in place proper channels to deal with protected disclosures that are made to them. Um, there is also going to be a provision in the new act to deal with, you may have heard the, of the Supreme Court uh, case in uh, Barana versus Rostera Irish Meats. Um, and there was a discussion and debate in the context of that case around whether a person's own grievance 
um, should constitute a protected disclosure. And um, there was a provision in, there is a provision, I should say, in the 2014 Act, which excludes a person's ability to, if you like, characterize a grievance about their own terms and conditions of employment as a protected disclosure. Since the Rothstara Irish Meats case, there is a, a um, I suppose, uh, it distinguishes a scenario where certainly still, and this is what the Supreme Court said, is that if a matter is an interpersonal grievance, which exclusively uh, affects the reporting person or is about an interpersonal conflict, then that is not a protected disclosure. However, um, it is possible that a person within the context of a grievance that is their own could that that, that that grievance could actually have a broader ambit within the organization. For example, if I'm an employee of, of, of a, a factory and I have health and safety concerns, even though the concerns might be mine, they have a broader application to other employees within the organization. And that type of grievance can be uh, treated and should be treated as a protected disclosure. So that is um, the, the principal change zone that we can expect to see in the new legal landscape if the bill in its current form is enacted. And as you say, if it is enacted like that, then they, they will be the, the key things, but absolutely brilliant to get the, the kind of over, overview of what is coming. Uh, yet another case of employment law being updated, so it's fantastic to, to get that kind of understanding. Uh, I suppose, Mary, coming back to kind of the process itself, um, so who is typically kind of the first port of call for employees? Is it the HR department who tend to face whistleblowing, Mary, or who's the first port of call usually? It's not always actually own, and sometimes they're completely bypassed in that people will report to I, I, the people that they feel can act upon these things. So it often comes, you know, at quite a senior level into an organization. Or I've seen some of these things arise, um, as Elizabeth says, when somebody is raising a grievance um, and pointing to something that they believe is wrong across the organ organization or at a systemic level within the organization. So it, it's, I mean, every organization is going to designate um, people that within their policies and procedures and, and direct employees um, towards them. But remember, because the this um, legislation is going to widen out and have your volunteers and your supervisors and your candidates and, and people outside of the organization, outside of employees, I think a lot of that needs to be reviewed and, and people really clearly need to figure out well, where do you want to channel people, where do you want them to go, what kind of training and development do you need to think about across the organization um, for those who might handle such complaints because I, I guess right at the very outset you've got to take them seriously uh, even if there isn't necessarily merit to it ultimately if the employee genuinely feels that there is something wrong that they must um, disclose to the organisation it's really important to avoid that whole area of penalization that you're taking it seriously. Uh, and often that's where 
the handling of these things does go wrong. The law might be one thing. What happens in practice is an entirely different thing. I think, I suppose, when we talk about the, the employer's next steps and that kind of thing, I'll come to, I'll probably ask both of you this question, but I'll come to yourself first for this one, Elizabeth. So I suppose when it comes to employers looking at this new legislation, getting ready for it, what policies and procedures will employers need to put in place uh, to satisfy this new legislation? Today, uh, as I mentioned, if you're an employer, there's no particular obligation on you as an employer to have a process or a procedure or a policy around handling protected disclosures. Um, I think it's really important um, that employers have a policy in place um, to handle protected disclosures. And I suppose the, the, the rationale for that is twofold. One is, I think it's really important as an organization for you to communicate to everybody in the organization um, and indeed now with the new bill, perhaps outside of it, but it is important to communicate that the organization encourages a culture where people do feel secure in making a protected disclosure. Because remember, for many employers, the your employees are your eyes and ears on the ground and you are depending on them to highlight to you where, um, where there is a wrongdoing uh, that you would like to know about. And um, part and parcel of encouraging that culture is to have a policy in place and to communicate it to employees and to make it very clear that the organization welcomes protected disclosures. Now, obviously, employers, in order to demonstrate how sincere they are about that, do need to develop a track record where they treat protected disclosures very sensitively, uh, properly and comprehensively. Um, so that an individual within an organization doesn't have a really bad experience after making a protected disclosure. And of course, in any organization, particularly in larger organizations, in order for the employer to ensure that an issue is dealt with comprehensively, it does take their, their, the, the employer developing a policy and embedding that policy and actually living that policy day to day and putting resources behind that policy uh, to, in order to ensure with some degree of confidence that um, the, the, the employees feel that they can avail each uh, protected disclosure that is raised, it will be dealt with in a relatively consistent manner. So that, that's really important for a sector to put in a policy. I really think that they should do so. And of course, once the bill is enacted, there will be a legal obligation on an employer to put in place policies which outline the disclosure channels and, and, and have the timeframes uh, that I discussed earlier. So um, I think, yeah, a protected disclosures policy is, is absolutely central. I would make one point before I pass over to Mary, and that is employers should also be conscious that under the bill, the definition of penalization is going to be much, much broader than, for example, the examples I gave earlier around demotions or dismissals or discriminatory treatment. Now penalization can include actions such as um, withholding the training of somebody, giving a person a negative performance assessment or employment reference, um, failing to convert a temporary employment contract into a permanent one, uh, renewing or early termination, or, or sorry, failure to renew, I should say, or, or terminating a temporary contract earlier, or harm, which can include damaging a person's reputation or, or blacklisting them some way in the sector. Um, and it can even extend to early termination or cancellation of a contract for goods or services. 
cancellation of a license or permit or psychiatric or medical referrals. So the the, the range of what constitutes penalisation is going to be much, much broader once the bill is enacted. So employers really need to ensure that everyone in their organisation, particularly those at supervisory and management level, have a consciousness around protected disclosures and around penalisation in the same way that you would hope that supervisors and managers today would have a high level of consciousness around bullying, harassment and discrimination. So it really is kind of hardwiring into everything that the organisation does, um, ensuring that a person is not penalised for making a protected disclosure and encouraging a culture where individuals make protected disclosures and are treated fairly and consistently and that, that, and that they are not penalised for doing so. It's the exact message that we say so often on this podcast, Mary, isn't it? It's about bringing in a, a strong and structured policy, but also making sure that people, even with situations like this, are confident in, in bringing up the matter, isn't it? Absolutely, Owen. And, you know, we, we always say that when there is a complaint, whatever the nature of that complaint, that the employer must take it seriously and their actions will define how people feel they are being treated within the organisation. Um, unfortunately, so often you come across situations where the person who has made the complaint is treated like the enemy. Um, and that is often the, the start of a long and bitter battle between an employee and an organization around something um, that has gone wrong in the organization. You know, in, in an ideal world, um, employers and uh, organizations won't ever condone something wrong happening in the organization and would welcome the feedback from employees if they spot something that they're concerned about. That's not always the case. And, and that is a, a pity in some of the more public um, examples of whistleblowing and, and people trying to make protected disclosures have demonstrated that. Um, as in HR, it's a responsible role. You may not be the first person that hears about a protected disclosure, but you're certainly part of the solution when it comes to the handling of those disclosures uh, and ensuring that your line managers are trained, that at an organizational level, we're aware what to do when these issues arise. Um, for most HR practitioners and for most organizations, they really don't have people making protected disclosures. Some sectors probably are more prone to them than others. Um, many, many organizations simply just don't ever have to deal with this. Uh, but in the sectors where there might be risks then you have to equip yourself and make sure that you understand the legislation, make sure that your line management understand the legislation, ensure the C-suite understand the legislation and that we all know what we're going to do if something happens um, and handle people very, very carefully at the time. The whole area of investigation is, is an interesting one and you know, fraught with difficulty. And Elizabeth, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts around, um, you know, when it gets to that point in time, particularly around handling um, 
you know, the identity of the person who's made the disclosure. Um, because I think there's, there's a level of confusion around that. Employers aren't obliged to deal with anonymous complaints or something just coming from nowhere with nothing attached to it. Um, but where, where does that start and end, Elizabeth, if um, I might ask you that? Okay, so that's an interesting area, um, Mary. I mean, what I always say to employers is that under the 2014 Act, as it stands, there isn't even a legal obligation to have an investigation. The only legal obligation an employer has is not to penalise a person who makes a protected disclosure. But of course, an organisation should have an investigation uh, and that investigation should be carried out absolutely uh, fairly and reasonably. And obviously, you know, we're, we, I'm an employment lawyer, you're HR practitioners. So we tend to think of investigations in the context of a disciplinary kind of investigation and the, the principles that are of natural justice and fair procedures that apply to that. But it has to be said that the investigation in the context of a protected disclosure can very much start out on the basis of, you know, was there misappropriation of money by the organization? Was there a breach of their safety obligations? Was there a data breach? So they can be quite technical investigations uh, from the beginning. But I think an employer always has to start out with the end in mind. And even though there might be a technical point that is investigated, it is possible, and an employer should always accept this, that at some point, one or two or more of their employees may actually uh, be in a situation where that technical investigation is, is followed on by a disciplinary investigation and the disciplinary process is applied and people may be dismissed if they were involved in acts of wrongdoing. So I suppose from the investigation perspective, um, and obviously we have now in Ireland a lot of case law around how investigations should be carried out, even around can you suspend a person while you're carrying out an investigation? And we have the principles in O'Reilly versus Bank of Ireland, where you know an employer now has to ensure if they suspend an employee with pay pending an investigation, that there's good reason for doing so, such as the concern that the employer might have that the employee might interfere with witnesses or evidence or, or some of the other criteria set out in that O'Reilly Bank of Ireland um, case. But I suppose the, 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 the first message I would give to employers is that if you are dealing with a protected disclosure, if you are going to have an investigation, make sure that you have an eye to the fact that that investigation, which could be technical at the beginning, will uh, transmongify, if you like, into an employment investigation, which could result in, in, a, in a disciplinary investigation and disciplinary action. Um, to your second point about anonymity, again, very interesting one, because under the 2014 Act, it simply says that um, if an employer receives a protected disclosure, they should take all reasonable steps to avoid the person who made the disclosure. OK, but it's not a total protection because uh, the employer can, of course, disclose the identity of the person making the disclosure once they can demonstrate, and there's a couple of tests. One is that they've taken all reasonable steps to avoid disclosing the information, or they reasonably believe the person making the disclosure doesn't object to the disclosure of their identity, or where the employer reasonably, reasonably believes that it's necessary to disclose the identity of the person making the disclosure because of the, to, to have an effective investigation 
or to um, prevent a crime occurring or where the disclosure is otherwise necessarily necessary in the public interest. The 2014 Act doesn't promote anonymous disclosures because of course anonymous disclosures can often be a huge obstacle to an investigation, particularly if the investigation is, you know, employee A saw employee B doing something and there's no other ancillary empirical evidence except for the fact that employee A saw employee be doing something. Well, then in that scenario, you're absolutely stymied in having an investigation if you can't disclose the identity of employee A, because how are you going to go to employee B and say, someone saw you, you know, uh, taking money out of the petty cash box? I mean, the immediate response of that employee is going to be, well, I need to know who said it about me in order that I can defend myself. So where you don't have objective evidence, it's very, very difficult to proceed with an investigation where the discloser wants to remain anonymous. Of course, there are many situations where the, the person disclosing the protected disclosure can remain anonymous and an employer can carry out an investigation. I'm thinking of a scenario where there is empirical evidence. So it's possible that an employee might say, if you look at emails of XYZ date, and if you look at contracts that were entered into by Mr. B, then you will see that he was giving cut price products to a customer, something like that. So you as an employer can go and you can look at that evidence, the emails and the contracts to determine if something untoward was going on. Um, now under the, the, the bill, um, again, there is a... Um, provision. So what the, what the bill says, interestingly, is that where a whistleblower makes a disclosure anonymously and is subsequently identified and then penalized for making the disclosure, they're entitled to the protections against penalization. So this is a new provision, uh, but it's in very specific circumstances. And um, I suppose what employers do need to do now or will need to do when the bill is enacted is to be cautious when they're faced with an anonymous disclosure, um, because they may later, um, if that person making the disclosure is identified either because they identified themselves or they're identified in an investigation, that that individual can claim protection from penalization. But the bill doesn't anticipate any major changes to the landscape that I just described in terms of protecting the identity of a particular worker who makes a disclosure. So a lot to think about and honestly fantastic to get such a, a deep insight, Elizabeth. So we really appreciate your time. And Mary, I think this goes back to that advice that we always give about changes like this. You're very welcome, Owen. It was a pleasure. Great. Uh, so thank you, Mary Elizabeth, for a very insightful discussion. And thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for our next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR.
whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.